0: This is Dylan FM, the podcast that goes deep into the work and world of Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place with your host, Craig Danieloff,
1: Dylan and the dead. There's a ring to it, even if it's not your favorite collaboration or you don't know that much about the relationship. Most fans know about the official album, even if they don't rate it very highly, and they know about some famous, if somewhat disheveled, shows back in the 80s. Plus, they know that Bob Dylan and Jerry Garcia were friends and had what seemed to be a deep and important relationship. That's all true, but there's much more. There's more music. There's an alternative version of the famous album, a wealth of rehearsal tapes, videos of the live shows they did together, and really magical covers that The Dead did of Dylan, and more recently, that Dylan has done of The Dead. And there's even more to the pivotal nature of this relationship, things that seem to have massively impacted Dylan's life and career trajectory. Dylan and the Dead isn't an album. It's a relationship that's a critical part of the Bob Dylan story. Today, we're going to talk to Harold Lapidus, Who is something of an expert on this relationship he attended the very first dylan and the dead concert he's written and lectured and taught classes about the relationship between the men and the bands and he's the perfect person to explore it with us This is the third episode in our series on what we're calling Dylan's five worst years, 1984 through 1988. We're not working through in strictly chronological order, and the dead come into Dylan's life towards the end of this period. The rehearsals and live shows were in 87, and the live album came out in 88. But more importantly, as we'll talk about in this conversation, the collaboration seemed to have had a lot to do with what happened next, notably the never-ending tour. Check the show notes for links to a lot of the material we discussed, videos, rehearsals, covers, and more. If you're hearing this, you're listening to our public feed, and we'll hear about the first 20 minutes or so of this 50-minute conversation. To hear the extended version and get all of our extended and bonus episodes, as well as shows from Pod Dylan, The Dylan Taunts, and the new Watching the Covers Flow show with Ray Paget and more, please subscribe at Apple Music or at fmpods.com. See the show notes for details. Now, here's my discussion with Harold Lapidus, on Dylan and the Dead. All right, Harold, welcome to Dylan FM, and thanks for joining us to talk about Bob Dylan's relationship with the Grateful Dead.
0: Well, thanks for inviting me. It's one of my favorite subjects.
1: I know. Well, I I saw you, uh, I guess it was back in June, down in Tulsa, talk about this, and I know it's been a... Uh, a subject we've thought about a lot and uh, and spoke about a lot. So we'll all benefit from that. I guess let's start at the beginning. Dylan and the Dead, in most of our consciousness, uh, is kind of mid-80s thing. Obviously, the tour and the shows they did together in 87 being kind of central. But what's the history? Um, I, I actually found a quote somewhere in the notes you gave me of, of Jerry talking about, I guess it was in 74, 75, meeting Dylan for the first time. But what do you know about the way these guys came together in kind of the years before they started playing together?
0: Uh, well, early on, they were basically aware of each other. Uh, I guess the best story I can think of is uh, Phil Lesh was a mailman in 1965. And on AM radio, they played uh, subterranean blues, and he had to pull the his uh, mail truck over to uh, absorb it all. And they, and he may have been exaggerating, but they said they played it like three times in an hour or something. But whatever it was. Um, it clearly had an impact that it, it's, um, you know, these days very familiar with things like Subtraining Humpsuit Blues, but it must've been very shocking to hear that voice amongst the, the Beatles and everything else. And, and then also the dead started covering not only songs like uh, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, but they were covering a lot of the same songs that Dylan was doing, like Deep Bell and Blues and uh, Steel In, <clears throat> songs like that. Um, so they came from the same background, a lot of it, you know, Buddy Holly, Buddy Guthrie, like that, then I know Dylan went to some shows uh one of them was with uh, David Bromberg. they went to see the Dead in the early seventies, so um that would be the um uh, earliest uh observation I guess of Dylan see that that we know
1: Jerry and Bob are very close to the same age if I'm correct about that mm-hmm. and yeah,
0: Dylan Dylan's like a little bit older, but it, Jerry seems older <laughs> you yeah, I think to Bob he seemed like like an older. Older brother,
1: <clears throat> right? And I saw that 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 I don't know if it was Jerry or various players from the Dead that sixty-one or so is around when they started doing professional gigs. So there's another symmetry in their life experience, right? There, there were Mother McCree's jug band champions
0: or whatever they're called, something like that. Yeah, like a it, um, the Dead was a mix. Of, like Dylan, single-handedly, <laughs> the, the Dead had a you know, a jazz guy, a country guy, a blues guy guy, you know they all put it all together become fearful dead
1: right so we enter this period that we're looking at starting you know I mean for this my little focus here sort of eighty eighty four eighty84 three eighty eight, and you know Bob is you know in a weird state obviously Empire burlesque and real life have just come out we are we are the world recording and live aid happens and then farm aid and as 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 you talked about uh, both in your presentation and we talked about getting ready for this, Dylan starts playing with other people kind of more actively um, and he goes and plays obviously with Petty and the Heartbreakers does quite a long tour you know about 60 shows in 86 and then he has a really long break, uh, I didn't realize it, was 11 months off uh, from the end of the Petty tour to the beginning of the Dead tour which, right, this is definitely pre pre-never-ending tour mm-hmm. um, and then we get this kind of short you know, tour with the Dead, and as we'll talk about, there was some rehearsals that luckily were recorded and have circulated. You know, just before that, and then obviously the next year, Dylan's in the the Wilburys. We know it's a it's a period of reassessment and and discovery and kind of figuring out what to do. and And part of the way Bob does that is go to other music and musicians. Um, and in this case, very established bands who were probably at higher points in their career than he was and play with them and see what happens. Do we know anything about how Dylan and the Dead, despite that long mutual you know, awareness and admiration, came together for the tour? Or for playing together, even the rehearsals before they decided to tour?
0: Um, I don't know if we do know exactly how, how it came together. Everything I'm saying is based on things I'm observing. Obviously, I'm not in the inner circle there, but uh, in 1986, when Dylan was touring with Petty and the Heartbreakers and the Queens of Rhythm. They did stadium shows where they, sh- they shared the bill with the Grateful Dead. So I'd imagine uh, if that was not um, already somewhat in progress, it certainly would imagine they were all hanging out to a certain extent and probably things escalated from there. Now one, one example uh, it's easy to see online is uh, on the, se- the same day as the second Farm Aid, Dylan and the Dead and Tom Petty and Heartbreakers and the Queens of Rhythm. I like to give the Queens of Rhythm uh, credit. <laughs> um, they were playing in Buffalo at a stadium, and in uh, the early days of satellites, they didn't know how to block things out <laughs> for people who were, you know, fanatical fans and had VCRs and satellite dishes in their house. So um, the first two hours of the uh, Dylan and Petty and uh, a good chunk of the dead as well uh, is available to see. But uh, that, that's one example of uh, where you can check out what was going on.
1: Oh, I, I will look for that one. I haven't seen that one. We're going to talk about some great videos of the two together later, uh-huh. um, but I'll have to go back and, and get that one. So in June of 87 are the San Rafael rehearsals, which we have a four CD set of, which is just fantastic. You know, I'd heard it years ago and had it, you know, in the pile of stuff. And in the last week, I've been listening to it a ton. And as I said online, I, I think there's a one CD, at least one album version of that just phenomenal so I, I guess talk about y- your view of those rehearsals and what do those start to tell us about you know how the two are feeding off each other and how this is uh you know affecting dylan uh
0: yeah so as as we were talking about you know the previous year with tom petty uh he was uh doing a lot of uh older songs and a lot of covers and uh listening to the recordings he you know first of all obviously you know petty and the heartbreakers are, are a tight a great type band they play together and tune and everything <laughs> and um and the like, i don't i don't know this for a fact again but uh you know they're they were doing rainy day women and, and positively fourth street and uh, obviously teddy and band were big fans and just wonder if they were encouraging Dylan to revisit some of those songs and he did them again if you look at the uh, rainy day women video from that fourth of july 86 show Um, He's kind of mumbling through it, and you know, I think he's trying to get into it, but um, the band is cooking, so it's not certainly not Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' fault. But um, I think he's wondering whether he he, the thing he was talking about was whether he's still related to the song, you know, the Forest Street and all on the watchtower. So what had what was happening in a different way was with the rehearsals with the Dead. They are again revisiting songs, but it wasn't so much the mid sixties hits there were songs like he'd never done live, like a lot of songs of a John Wesley Harding and John Brown and stuff about infidels and stuff you know stuff about knocked out loaded. And just like stuff that you'd have to be a, a really deeply deep understanding or at least sympathy with what Dylan was doing. And that seemed to have unlocked something in Dylan. And then he started connecting to his own material, which he talks about. Sometimes you have to take a uh, Dylan's word with a grain of salt, but, uh, seems sincere that uh seems obvious that rehearsing with the dead um really got him connecting to his own songs and just the, if you look at the list of stuff on there it's not only I and mean, i don't think they ever did like a rolling stone or, or blown in the wind i mean it's all like uh yeah part of mine and under your spell and it's just like a whole weird bunch of songs plus a lot of like weird sun record stuff and even you know most famously uh well possibly most famously is when. uh Jerry Garcia uh, suggested he does the song Joey, which was very controversial. Um, it wasn't very well-received. Uh, Lester Bangs in Cream Magazine uh, wrote an article saying uh, it was uh, called the Bob Dylan's Dalliance with Mafia Chic, and it talked about what a horrible person Joey was, and he was a horrible person. But Jerry thought it was a great song, and, and Bob gives him credit for getting it back in the set list, and he did it quite a few times from that point on. So. Uh, that gives you some idea of Dylan connecting to his own songs and it just, uh, you know, it set him on the road that literally on the road.
1: <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that, at the rehearsals, we'll get to the, the show set list in a minute, but as you say, it, it, it really touches up to that point, kind of all periods of Bob, you know, there's, there's times there a change in and between Jane and, and John Brown and these sixties things, but there's got to serve somebody. From the 80s, Heart of Mine, as you said, Simple Twist of Fate, of the, the you know seventies uh period, and then Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, in terms of the you know, the late seventies period, if not for you, which is just a phenomenal version. And then there's these cool covers, you know, French Girl, which I guess that's a, a basement tape song. Yeah. Well, right? Yep. Boy in the bubble, which is fun to hear that's on there. It's Bob's kind of singing side vocals or you know, not bagging vocals, but kind of singing along after a while he's definitely not yeah. on the lead on that one but, and that was uh, a new
0: song at the time because that came out in 86 and this is only 87 so
1: right right and i thought the same thing with under your spell is like completely different lyrics or largely different lyrics they killed him which is also a mid-80s song and then back to the the covers Blue stay away from me john hardy i'm um, So Lonesome I my Cry." that's instrumental times of freedom another 60s song that makes him the set so it's a it's a set list from everywhere but it's also a set that you know, the dead are so clearly stylistic, right? It's, it's the dead playing, you can hear it. There's that looseness in it, which is just very different than, you know, I mean, the idea of, uh, you know, soloing or noodling around or taking your time, particularly with songs, is never really something Dylan had done. And yet he feels, sounds very comfortable here. I know I kind of argued these rehearsals, one of the things I like about them better than the live recordings we have is at least the, the ones on the album let's let's leave it at that it's much more relaxed you know and and probably the fact that it's rehearsal helps that but there's there's just a the sound here that's really nice and and one of the things i've been musing about a lot listening to all this is whether this is you know bob dylan and the grateful dead you know acting as his band which mechanically it obviously is cause they're playing dylan songs and they're deferential to him in a certain way being bob dylan but it also feels like it's the Grateful Dead with Bob Dylan and that their influence and their, you know, the feel and the way the songs come out, the way they're orchestrated is the dead. And therefore, he's kind of bending to them or, or accommodating them in a certain way. I don't know. What, did you, what do you think, both in terms of the live stuff you saw, in terms of the way you listen to these rehearsals, about the musical way they're interacting and who's, you know, shifting to accommodate the other? Or, or... often when you hear Dylan with the band behind him, it doesn't matter unless you're very musically. Focused, who the band behind him is, because you're listening to Dylan, and he's he's as as Paul Williams always says, the band leader pushing these musicians in some way by sheer will. Mm-hmm. That's kind of not happening here. The Dead are playing the Dead version of the song musically, and Bob's choosing to sing over it.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely think it's a two way street. They, they they seem more like peers. they're saying they both started in the early '60s, same same background. Um, so they there are very few people that Bob could call peers. I mean, it's probably why he got along well with George Harrison and, um, and, uh, and Jeff. So they, uh, they are not starstruck. They're not in, in awe. I don't think, uh, I mean, maybe in awe of his talent, but not a, of him as a person. And they probably just get very comfortable. And I think Jerry, want, I mean, maybe not his personal life, but certainly his professional life. he's very, warm and supportive and sympathetic and empathetic and one of my favorite things in the rehearsal tapes is uh there's a version of senior which is kind of a duet between bob and jerry and and when bob ends it a little differently than expected jerry i can't remember the exact quote but jerry was saying oh so you ended that way it wasn't like a it must have just been a very safe haven for Dylan to uh Worry about who he is or who anyone else is he could just connect through the music that's the feeling
1: and as you say there's a there's a there's a quite a lot of quotes of when Bob was asked about this the influence of the dead and he really gave them credit for helping him you know refine his songs the kind of thing he says or show him a new way to get at them to sing them to reconnect with the meaning and you know maybe we're getting to hear this We, we obviously don't know how how much how many rehearsals there are I'm sure there was many more than we get to hear here, but you know, four hours roughly of tapes. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because I think for the whole Dylan and the band
0: tour in '74, there was four hours total rehearsals. <laughs> so we don't really don't know how much, how I, mean, I mean, I remember reading that somewhere again. Who knows? Uh, but sometimes it doesn't seem like there's much rehearsals at all, and sometimes who knows, you know. But again, in the '78 tour there's plenty of rehearsals. So
1: right, but it's a nice chunk. My point is it's a really nice chunk for us to be able to listen to. I think some songs come up all the times. So I don't know if we know how many days, you know, are on these tapes that got, that got liberated and the, and the quality's, you know, very good. It does have that rehearsal feel and that very often, although this some degree extended into the live performances with these guys on Dylan's part, it's very mumbly and loose at the start. Mm-hmm. And then 30 seconds in or a minute in Dylan really connects and is going. So you got got to take that as what you're listening to, but it, it doesn't make it any less interesting or more effective in terms of the, in terms of the result.
0: Yeah, because I think it's all context too. Because as you say, you know, getting comfortable and all that. Before that, just played a washed up rock star in Parts uh, of Fire. <laughs> you know, the, and they had the live aid um, disrespect while he was playing. You know, they were setting up behind him; he couldn't hear himself. And, you know, all the stuff's going on, and he's Bob Dylan. <laughs> and everyone else is not really treating him with the, re- the at least the respect that you would think. I mean, that he should get. Not just us. I mean, just as the statue. I mean, he's in, he won a Nobel Prize.
1: <laughs> right. Well, the I mean, this is the central thing about this period and why I'm kind of looking at it. Right. Dylan's. He's about 45 years old. Right. He's already been Bob Dylan of the 60s and of the 70s, and he's gone through the Born Again period. And you know, there there wasn't a prototype for a 45 year old guy to be doing this. There isn't a prototype to have gone through that kind of stardom and commercial reaction, and then you know being the 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 third solid third decade of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the world has changed around him, and just you know things ebb and flow. And the eighties are very different than the sixties or seventies, and he's trying to find his way. I mean, these are all the potential influences on on where Dylan was, and to to see what he can find. And as he said himself, there's a distance he feels from his own material that's now in some cases, 30 years old. So I guess this is why it's interesting to look at is see how he reacted to it and how it set him up for what happened later. I
0: just thought of something. It reminds me of uh, the gospel years when he, he rejected all of his old material because he didn't know what was, you know, sacred or profane or anything, you know, he just did all new songs. And again, based on what he said, uh, that was another time when he, felt you know, he, he didn't know what to do with his own material sorry <laughs> yeah it's it's
1: it's it's got to be challenging for anyone to, to balance between the people who want the hits and your own connection to it and obviously what comes out the back end of this and there's a quote i'll read later that you found that he, he talks about how it let him you know do that But um, I think it's just cool that we have these recordings. A and B. I want to kind of highlight them because I think more casual fans might not have spent time with these, uh, since the the Dylan Dead is not many people's favorite period, and these they're not the most uh, widely available things in the world. But they're just great. And and you know, one of the things I've been thinking about listening to all this stuff is none of it is becomes your favorite Dylan, uh, at least for me. But given how much we all listen to Dylan. Kind of seeing another side of him, just fun for a couple hours, no matter what. If you look at it, we'll get to the various parts of it, especially the videos in a minute. In and of itself, it's sort of very good. You know, that everything doesn't have to constantly be compared to the best thing in the world. And it's not worthless if it's not that. It's just kind of interesting Dylan. And it's different Dylan. And I think the fact that not only that's the dead, who's, you know, a, a, a respectable, you know, infamous force on their own but it's it's the set of really highly competent musicians and Dylans having to react to them to some degree, even like you know, the great music experience stuff where Dylan had to figure out okay, what do I do next to a symphony <laughs> um, and he does something great, and you know this is different it's got a looseness, it's got all these other dead things but uh you know once he connects with the song, even if you got to sort of wait out the first thirty seconds um, he finds his way and then once he finds his way it's a it's an interesting uh, and compelling thing to do so in in July of 87, which maybe is why you're here, you find yourself uh, at the first live show. So tell us, uh, you know, where were you with Dylan and the Dead separately when that happened, you know, in your in your kind of fan experience? And and, and tell us about the first show.
0: Well, uh, I'll start with the Dead. Uh, I had a, for those of us of a certain age, <laughs> you know, there was, you know, finding out about music was difficult. And um so I was aware of The Grateful Dead following music, uh, but I didn't really know what they sounded like or what they were about. And The Grateful Dead sounded like the,
1: the same. If you'd like to hear the, the rest of this episode, released. become an I FM Plus subscriber. No Just idea. $5 a month and you get all of our extended episodes plus bonus shows. And that's true not only of Dylan FM, but you get Pod Dylan, The Dylan Tants, Gaucho Amigos, a show on Steely Dan, and there's a bunch of cool new shows both Dylan focused and not about to launch on the FM podcast network. Sign up in Apple music or at fmpods.com. There are links in the show notes. Did you enjoy this show?
0: Then please rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps. Also sign up for seven days, our free weekly newsletter that puts all the top Bob Dylan news and links into your inbox every Sunday. Use the link in the show notes.